0: from Myanmar to the United States. Their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks
2: Peace. So last Ramadan, uh, we uh, we slept with uh, in the evening and uh, we had one president we woke up we already had one president and seven deputies and each deputy <laughs> has an army of their own hello
3: everyone salam welcome to another episode of she talks peace i am amina rasul of the philippine center for islam and democracy joining you from manila and i'm here with my co host
4: Hi everybody. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and selamat berpuasa. It's Ramadan time. Amina, it's been how many weeks now? It's we're now on our second week. I'm joining you from al Bukhari International University. It's located in Kedah, Malaysia. Kedah is one of the states in Malaysia. It's right beside Penang. So I'm not in Penang, but I'm in Kedah in Alosta Kedah. I was just thinking, Ayesa,
3: maybe you can tell us a little about your university, especially since you are accepting applications from young people from all over the world, both Muslims and, and Christians.
4: Yeah. Yes. I mean, I'm yeah excited to introduce our university. Uh, it's called Al International University or AIU. It's a private university, except that it's a not-for-profit university. It's managed by a foundation, and uh, we do have several courses. You know, from business management to social sciences to IT. You know, a a lot of uh, different courses that you can check in the website. And all our undergraduate students, they come from 51 countries all over the world. They can be Muslims or non-Muslims. And all of them are fully funded by the foundation. So at present, we have around 1,000 students. And I think it's going to increase in the coming semester. That number is, you know, is... Uh, getting higher as we recruit more students, and it's an interesting place because the students also live in in the, in the campus. So it's like a boarding school. You know, if in other places, you know, uh, rich countries, you have all these expensive boarding schools, right? Like mm-hmm. the UK like in Europe. Well, this one is a boarding school, except that it's a boarding school university for underprivileged but bright students. So we do recruit, you know, they can check out the website. The website is www.aiu.edu.my or just just Google Albuquerque International University.
3: That's really fascinating. So I'm I'm glad you're there, Ayesa, because then uh, there's somebody there that I know. Just in case by magic, I lose 50 years and I can come and apply for an undergraduate Program at Al-Mukhari University. You know, many years ago, my organization, the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, we actually suggested to several embassies why don't they host Iftar? And the first time that the U.S. embassy in the Philippines hosted IFTAR was because of our suggestion. So we actually helped the U.S. embassy. It was then Ambassador Richard Doney, I think. We helped them organize it. I made the same suggestion to the British ambassador, to the Australian ambassador, and they did the same. So we also helped organize that. So... Next week, actually, Ayesa, if you were here, we'd invite you. We made the suggestion to the Mormons. So they've been hosting Iftar regularly. So next week, oh, we've got an yes. Iftar with the Mormons. And then the Commission on Human Rights. So mm-hmm. we're also co-hosting that. So we've got two Iftars that we'll be, we'll be going to. So it's um, it's really nice to be able to... Bring in these institutions into, you know, what we do and how we celebrate Ramadan. So I'm I'm looking forward to the iftars. How about you?
4: Yeah, here in uh, in the university, the other day, last Monday night, yeah, we had an iftar for the residents, for the the staff who live here in the campus. So we had one uh, in our own hotel. The university has its own small hotel. It's a 50-bedroom hotel uh, with all the facilities, but it's only being used for university purposes. Uh, But tomorrow night, uh, it has been announced that we will have an iftar and prayers together with the students, so the whole community, uh, the students and the staff, we will be uh, celebrating uh, Bukapuasa tomorrow night.
3: To our dear listeners who are unfamiliar, during the month of Ramadan, Muslims, the Muslim faithful, fast from sun up to sundown. No food, no liquids. But uh, at sundown, when we break our fast, that's called the iftar. And uh, in places like uh, Saudi Arabia, Dubai, when I I'd go and, and visit. It's like uh, festivities every night. And when I visited my dad when he was ambassador to Saudi Arabia. Uh, after mm-hmm. the breaking of the past, he'd take us to the souk. And we'd walk around. And even the, the sellers of gold, you know, the souk for gold, they would give discounts and sometimes they would give little trinkets made of, you know, gold. And it was it was really amazing. Never, never saw anything like that in my whole life. But I was just wondering, Ayesha, how are Muslims in war-torn countries managing Ramadan this year? Like yeah. uh, Muslims, who are for, for instance, in Ukraine an article mm-hmm. that uh, i came across shared about how last year they were not able to really celebrate i mean understandable right you have the curfews you have the mass out migration you have the men going off to war but mm-hmm. uh this year it's a little better but that's ukraine where things are a little better in some areas what about Countries that are now war torn, like yeah. Yemen, Yemen for instance, the humanitarian crisis in Yemen uh, seems to have really escalated. So I'm I'm really glad that we have our friend uh, joining us today to tell us about what's happening in Yemen and how she's managing her Ramadan. Perhaps, perhaps you'd like to introduce her and bring her in, yes.
4: Yes, uh, I mean, uh, she's actually your colleague in this uh, Women's Alliance for Security, Security uh, Leadership or WASL. How do you pronounce that, WASL? That's, yeah. that's how your I network.
3: pronounce it. But uh, <laughs> the, I think the Arabs, we can ask Muna later because I understand yes. the, the Arabs and those who speak Urdu say was
4: was <laughs> okay anyway our special guest our sister is uh, her name is muna Lukman, and she is a yemeni and she's an activist a peace builder a gender security and development expert and she's also a founder of this organization called food for humanity and this organization is women-led and it has been doing a lot of uh Good work in providing emergency relief, training, and livelihood programs in war-torn communities in that country. She's also an advisor on gender and inclusivity for the Geneva Center for the Democratic Control of Armed Forces Middle East and North Africa team based in Yemen. So everybody, ladies and gentlemen, let us all welcome Muna Lukwan. Hi,
2: Muna. Hello, thank you uh, for this great introduction. Um, Thank you, Dr. Aisa and um, Ms. Amina. Um, I'm really honored to be on this prestigious show. I follow your uh, podcast and uh, always love to hear the inspiring stories of incredible women. And um, glad to be here. And Ramadan kareem. Ramadan mubarak, Muna. Ramadan mubarak to you and all of your listeners. You know,
3: when you said inspiring women, I cannot help but agree because you're one of them. You know, Ayesa, we've been trying to get Muna on the podcast for a while now. And I think five different times we have to keep changing because Muna is uh, lobbying all over the world. She's in Canada, she's at The Hague, she's in New York. Lobbying for an end to to the war in uh, Yemen. So, Muna, how has Ramadan been going for you?
2: It's been good. It's um, um, moving quite fast. Usually in Ramadan, it's like a lot of pressure for me, especially and those who are wor- working on humanitarian and charity issues, especially that the people really are suffering. Uh, as you rightly stated, and in Ramadan, the suffering becomes even more exasperated. Uh, people don't have water, they don't have gas, they don't have mm-hmm. anything. they don't have shelter. people are in mm-hmm. in areas where there is no shelter, they're under attack, and so it's it um it really is uh, devastating for us trying to fundraise and uh, provide them with food, shelter, and water. And medicine. At the same time, to give a, also a positive stand is that um, we are hoping in the next couple of hours, maybe the few next few days. We're not sure, but we're um, holding to our hearts and prayers that we will have um, a full uh, ceasefire. So uh, things are happening right now as we speak. That um, there are some meetings happening, led by the UN. But this time, it's a little bit different. I hope which we'll maybe speak about that a bit later. But we have the regional actors now getting together. Uh, so uh, this is something that we've always advocated for, that we need peace on different levels for Yemen. Inside Yemen, with the locals, and also regionally and internationally. We were missing some parts. So that's, that's something to uh, be hopeful for, I hope.
1: Planning for your next trip?
3: Al-Mutawakkel was our guest last year. And when she was our guest, um, she was a little bit optimistic that you know, peace was coming. And then things got worse. So now things are again going back uh, on track. Isn't that fantastic? Yes, it's really good news now that it's Ramadan.
1: Yeah. Uh,
4: Muna, maybe you can also educate us. What is the population now of
2: Yemen? I think we're more than uh, 22 million uh, now. Uh, Most of them are suffering. Can you imagine? Millions and millions are under the poverty line. Mm-hmm. So that's really um, uh, heartbreaking. And and the problem is that we have different layers. And this was before the war, by the way. This was before the war. Uh, the war just made it even worse. But even before the war, we had very low uh, income rates. Uh, we had poverty rates. People um, were suffering on different uh, levels. Uh, the high corruption in Yemen, uh, it was led by uh, very corrupted leaders, uh, still is. And uh, I think they have contributed to uh, all of this suffering. So we had very rich people, and then we also had the very poor people. And you can imagine after the war, what happened, people lost their livelihoods, they lost their salaries. People haven't had salaries for many years now. And this is contributing to the violence. And, And one of the things that I'm really advocating for with all my colleagues and sisters is that we need more projects that focus on the economy. That yeah. focus on livelihoods. Uh, this will prevent more violence. Because why? Why do people get into uh, cycles of violence? It's mainly because they're actually in need, and these warlords are uh, mobilizing them to fight instead of building the state and the and the community. And that's the, the role uh, that we're trying to do. And it's not an easy role because we're trying to step into the role. Of the state and the the, the government, and that they're the ones who should be responsible for this. And so that is why we we feel so much under pressure. But still, I always keep myself hopeful because um, I think that they want us to not feel the hope anymore. Because the, when when you, when you have a community which is in despair. Uh, they start fighting each other and they start uh, feeling the hatred and the hatred grows the violence and the violence brings in more weapons. And so, you know, who's benefiting from all of that. So um, I always say that we really need to keep the community alive, the community together yeah. as much as possible. Yeah. You know, um,
3: the UNFPA Regional Director for the Arab States, Laila She wrote a piece last week, I saw it uh, online, and and let me quote her. She said, nearly a decade of conflict in Yemen has brought untold hardship and misery to the population and left utter devastation in its wake, an economic crisis, mass displacement, damaged infrastructure, and underdevelopment. And then she said, the consequences for women and girls in particular have been stark. Their rights have been an unseen casualty of war as the fabric of the country has disintegrated. And you have been really in the front, Muna, working for the protection of women and girls, working for for their rights. So how have you been managing uh, your work uh, on this, Muna? Tell us how did you start in your humanitarian work and the, what, what has it been like working with the women and girls?
2: Well, I think that um, it was a process uh, getting me to this point now. I was brought up in the UK and then I came back to, to Yemen and I just fell in love with this country, the history, the people, the, the humbleness and the uh, generosity and uh, so much to, to give and so much to learn from. So I stayed, um, um, and I wanted to uh, to contribute from an early age to uh, to build this country. Um, and I uh, started working, I was privileged to start working with many international organizations. I worked with landmine victims, with people with special needs, and that taught me a lot of things in the humanitarian field. And uh, when the um, I moved on to work with the private sector, and I was lucky to work with the HSA group. This is a conglomerate, and they are, from, for the past 85 years, they've been um, working to provide a better um, uh, state for Yemen through uh, the economy, through supporting the economy and livelihoods. Uh, I learned a lot from them also and from their philanthropy. When the war happened, I was in the city of Taz, and this is the cultural capital. I was the advisor to the governor of Taz at that time, and I was very well known for solving problems. <laughs> so whenever there was any issue, I would always be involved. When the war uh, happened, the men left. The authorities mm-hmm. left. And it was just mm-hmm. us, the women, who were there. And we, we were all over the place trying to support people who were in the front lines, who were, who were trapped between the crossfire. Mm-hmm. We were trying to provide water. We just were all over the place. And then we had people who were also uh, children who were trapped as hostages. And I mediated to to release them uh, in, in, in more than one area. I also went to to Sana'a and There was a lot of the airstrikes. In Ta'z, my part of my house was also um, disrupted because of the uh, one of the airstrikes. I I've, I went through this the street fighting, the airstrikes, the everything that you can imagine, and that made me more and more motivated to help. As much as possible, uh, people. I felt that people didn't have a voice, and people in, in the international world needed to support us. Needed to know uh, what was going on in Yemen, so they can uh, also pressure the warring parties.
4: Can you tell us, uh, in your own uh, analysis, what are the causes, What were the causes of the conflict in Yemen? How the would you describe conflict, it as you know, as an insider, as a Yemeni?
2: It's a multi-layered uh, conflict. We had many grievances in Yemen. So the southern issue, they have their own issue and they have their righteous grievances that haven't been attended to or uh, responded to. Then we have the, uh, during the um, 2011 uh, Arab Spring, At that time, they uh, ousted the the president, and then we had one of the best dialogues in maybe in the Arab world, it was for nine months, it was the national dialogue. And that was a national dialogue that focused a lot on the uh, state building and restructuring the army and uh, human rights and everything. It was a, a real model now then we had a group of rebels the houthi rebels who were mainly backed by uh, ir- uh, iran and they uh, turned over the and they created a, a coup d'etat and, uh, and then they decided that they are going to take everything by force by military force now then uh, the recognized government did not accept that so they went to the uh, request the uh, the saudis and the international community to support them to get rid of the, uh, the armed forces. So then we mm-hmm. had uh, another issue, another, uh, so we had an issue on the ground by these armed forces uh, militants and then we had uh, the airstrikes also um, disrupting many of the cities and nearly everywhere. So uh, then we, we ended up with a completely destroyed country, different militants, and then instead of having one militant group, now we have more than at least seven to eight major uh, militant groups. Each one of them is funded by one or the other of the regional countries. So this is a very big issue now that we have. That is why we keep saying that just ending the war in Yemen by signing an agreement is not going to bring peace. We need to work on the local levels as well. And we need accountability. We haven't had accountability for the crimes that have been, um, uh, you know, that have happened in Yemen, and so so as a, as a local Yemeni uh, woman, I see that we have besieged cities, we have an economic problem, and we Ooh. have two, uh, uh, and we also have a southern issue where they also want to separate from the north, mm-hmm. and so uh, the major issue I personally believe is also resources. Um, mm-hmm. I think that they they are all fighting over the resources. Also, although in Yemen we have. A lot of resources, and it's a very rich country, but the corruption and the the violence has led it to uh, to, to the state where we are now dependent on aid, which also yeah. worries me uh, that we are, uh, after eight years now, we are completely dependent on on aid instead of trying to uh, generate uh, and support the economy. Yeah. By the way, Muna,
3: when you were describing the... Conflict situation, it really looks like there are several wars going on, which is quite interesting because another piece that I read when uh, President Biden said that he was going to push for peace, an end to war in Yemen, his question was, which war? And then he <laughs> goes on to say that Biden's promise on Yemen appears intentionally unclear as he failed to specify which war he aimed to end. And like you described it, he mentions the Houthis' long war against the Yemeni state, the multi-sided intra-Yemeni war, which includes southern secessionists, or the war between the Houthis and and Saudi Arabia. And I know that you've been lobbying for an implementation of the what do you call it, um, uh, MUNA, the War uh, Resolution Act?
2: Yes, that's also one part of it. Why is that important? I think it's very important because we, uh, uh, let me first of all say that, uh, like you said, I mean, I think Biden's promise to end the war in Yemen really failed because it was only from one angle. uh, And that's the Saudi-Iranian narrative, the Saudi-Houthi narrative, that, that part and the war resolution, which I have been part of and, and strongly support still, uh, will will pull out uh, some of that U.S. support of arms for and logistics for for the Saudi-led coalition, which is great. But that's only part of it. If we if we pull that part out, we still won't have peace on the ground. Like you said, we have the southern issue. We have, we have we have now we have eight presidents. Okay, so we, <laughs> last Ramadan, last, so you can just imagine. So last Ramadan, uh, we uh, we slept with uh, in the evening, and uh, we had one president. We woke up. We already had one president and seven deputies, and each deputy <laughs> has an army of their own. So it was oh, like, buying. and this was. This was an outcome of the Riyadh agreement in uh, the Riyadh uh, Yemeni-Yemeni uh, consultations, which I was also part of. I was leading on the humanitarian uh, mm-hmm. and reconstructuring committee. Uh, but uh, some of the solutions that were there at that time was that how can we bring these warlords together and put them in one council? So they put mm-hmm. them in a council. We wanted a council, not a presidential council, to put them mm-hmm. all in. So now they all, all of the warlords have all of this authority. Not really serving the people as much as we wanted, but at least they're not fighting amongst themselves. So that's that's part of the solution. But still, mm-hmm. it's like as if the regional and the international community are providing solutions uh, that are not uh, sustainable. That it's not just the sustainability. They, they provoke more violence through these solutions. Uh-huh.
1: Planning for your next trip?
4: Okay. So, Muna, besides, Muna, besides besides yourself uh, are there other women who also gets the opportunity to be part of all these
2: processes? Okay definitely. We have a whole database of experts from the Women's Solidarity Network and these are um, and I'm glad that uh, Peace Track Initiative and the Women's Solidarity Network which I'm a co-founder of um, have created this database of hundreds of women who are experts in economy, in security, in gender issues, in development and so these women uh, they not only advocate but they're actually also working on the ground Um, some of them have been able, like the mothers of abductees They have released hundreds of detainees, um, and others um, have been also advocating around the world. So each one of us has tried to see what are my skills, for instance, and how can I mobilize these skills or relations or networks to end this uh, war, but end it in a way that we uh, have sustainable peace and not just uh, more cycles of violence and just agreements. I think i uh, I might quote maybe Sanam Anderlini here when she says that uh, the old school way of uh, of peace agreements is just not working with the with the types of wars that we're having and conflicts in our um, world right now. And that is true. That just having two warring parties and the peace agreement. And the battlefield—it's not like that. We have multi layers, and this is not just in Yemen, by the way. I've seen this in many other countries. So I think that now is the time that we mobilize these women more, because they. they You also, Muna, you
4: mentioned about the warlords. How? What is the risks? Of women uh, who are he- who are helping the the process, the peace process, are they vulnerable to the violence you know that are coming from Definitely. you know some Definitely. of these groups, non state armed groups? How Definitely. are you Who's surviving? Definitely. How are you
2: overcoming? Um, You see, um, for for the first um, few years I was in in, uh, Yemen, I had to leave. Uh, I was pushed out of Yemen because I was under a lot of threat, although I was working not on a political level. I was working more on a humanitarian level, and still I was threatened because I think these warlords, they want to mobilize you to work for them, to be their media advocates, to be their supporters. And if you're not... Then you're under you're in the trouble uh, zone. So uh, unfortunately, we've had for the first time in Yemen uh, crossed the line, the red lines that I call um, where women were a red line that they're untouchable. That you do not threat women, you do not take them to prison. Now we have hundreds of women in prisons, and this is unfortunately uh, in the Houthi controlled areas. They have you know really taken just even. Um, ordinary women like uh, we we have w- one um, a woman who was uh, like an artist uh, and a fashion designer, and they took her and she's in prison now. A young girl, just because she's doing something that she she's passionate about. So uh, we're really having a big um, issue with this. Uh, these are crimes against humanity, and we need accountability for this before we before we have any peace agreements. For me, accountability. Is more important than the peace agreements. Wow,
3: Muna! It really sounds like uh, it's so complicated, and it's a very dangerous a place,
4: Amina, for women.
3: And and very complicated. I mean, if you are if you're caught in Ukraine, you're a woman in Ukraine, you're in a very dangerous space because of the bombing, the rape uh, as an instrument of war, but Yemen is particularly uh, it, it's it's too complicated. you've got uh, you know these the, the secessionist against state, you've got um, uh, Saudis uh, funded by the United States against Yemenis and then you've got the warlords fighting each other uh, muna your the work that you do is incredible muna and um, before we before we end. I was just wondering, because I know that there are many who would like to help. I, online, for instance, I've seen uh, calls for prayers for, for Yemen. So as, as a final message, uh, Muna, how can people from other countries support your peace initiatives in, in Yemen? Please
2: share your message, Muna. Uh, thank you, Amina and Dr. So. I think that uh, it is very important uh, to educate themselves and uh, to understand from the local perspective what's going on in Yemen. That will help us a lot. Because um, the international media, for instance, and the mainstream media has been focusing on the narrative of the Saudi and the Houthi part, and there are so many other things that people are in need of uh, on the ground. Also, the humanitarian um, uh, issues are um, mainly focused on um, the food aid and things like that, but people need their salaries, they need their livelihoods, their dignity. This is very important, and it will reduce the violence, so we really need the, the, the support um, of uh, distributing this message and pressuring the warring parties to release the salaries. to uh, and uh, So this is for the warring parties and to refrain from taking women and the uh, and, uh, youth and men uh, and release the detainees. So I think one of uh, uh, my main message would be maybe uh, three uh, factors. The humanitarian issue needs to be changed or transferred into a development strategy. Uh, not just uh, depending on aid. The second point would be releasing the detainees is such an important thing. We have thousands and thousands who haven't seen the light. Um, And the third point would be the salaries and livelihoods. People need their dignity. It will reduce uh, the violence. Um, It is really important to listen to the locals also. There are some international uh, experts who are also uh, connected to the to the uh, locals and have good uh, perspectives, but um, like you said, um, the situation in Yemen is complicated, it's multilayered, and only those who are really living the situation in Yemen uh, and those also in the diaspora who know it very well uh, can give the right perspectives. I believe it's very complicated, but I don't believe that it, there is no hope. There is hope. Uh, we need to keep the support of those people. There are some very good organizations you can donate to also. Try to support the local organizations who are at the front lines, who, are, ha- who have access inside the villages and, and the uh, where the people are mostly in need. These uh, are underfunded. They do not have any support, so I, th- I think that would be also uh, great. And yes, keep Yemen in uh, your prayers. Uh, especially in this holy month of Ramadan, and I think that um, we will never give up. The people deserve our support, they deserve uh, a better chance, our children deserve uh, a better world, and uh, as much as this uh, despair of the war, it has also brought us uh, in uh, a collective humanitarian, our, a collective humanity state where we are all uh, without borders anymore. We all share the same concerns. And that, for me, is really also important. Maybe it will change for the future of our children to have more humanity. Thank you.
3: Inshallah, Muna, Inshallah. Dear friends, dear listeners, uh, you have heard Muna Lukman's plea for your support for peace in Yemen. And during this holy month of Ramadan, I do believe that Ayesa and I uh, share our request, our prayer that you too would support peace in Yemen, peace in Ukraine, and ho- peace And hopefully, Where? I
4: mean, hopefully I Amina mean, more of our audience in She Talks Peace will be interested to find out more and read more about what's happening in Yemen, so that there will be more, uh, uh, maybe more initiatives. You know, not only from international organizations, but also from civil society organizations from our countries. You know, that might be uh, persuaded. You know, to to do more support work for uh, our friends in Yemen.
3: Absolutely right, uh, Ayesa. And who knows? Maybe your university can sponsor some bright young. Yemeni refugees to become,
2: oh, scholars. for sure, for sure. So
4: long as they apply, I'm sure
2: they will be able to, you
4: know, yes yeah, so they, definitely
2: you know, apply after, them, after yeah. this, uh, after the show. I think uh, the future of uh, of Yemen is definitely in the hands of the young people, and they need the support they need. and I think the education is, is key. Um, I have a school, uh, which uh, we are running at Food for Humanity, oh, we have 500 okay. young, uh, uh, young girls. And now the mm-hmm. boys, they also want a school. So we're now uh, trying to fundraise to support the boys. Uh, this has been uh, uh, with the help of uh, Madre. And we also have other projects that we are uh, supported by uh, ICANN. Uh, and it's all on youth peace building and, and young children. And I think this is really great uh, because um, these are the people, these are the ones who are either uh, used to fuel the war or they can build the future. So uh, it's it's for us to choose where and how to support these young people. So thank you for that. And uh, we appreciate all your support. Appreciate this lovely podcast and um, hope to be on the show again soon. Okay. Absolutely. Thank you so
3: much, Muna. and Thank, uh, you, listener, like to thank you for joining us uh, for this episode and for listening to Ayesa and me have this beautiful conversation with Muna Lukman. Until the next time, this is Amina Rasul from the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, saying to all of the Muslims out there, Ramadan Mubarak, and to all of our other friends, peace. See you again next week.
4: Ayesa. Okay, thank you again to our special guest, Muna Lukman. And I'll be looking forward to applicants from Yemen. Uh, we will definitely welcome them at AIU. And uh, again, to all our audience, please do write us an email at she, pod, uh, she talks peace, uh, at podcast uh, at gmail.com. And we will be happy to hear from you with your comments and suggestions. So again, hope to see you next time. Bye, Amina. Bye, Muna. Bye, Ayessa. Bye, Muna. Bye. Bye, Ayessa. Bye,
2: Amina. Bye-bye. Thank you.
0: She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co.